Hello, this is Miles, and welcome to UniLife with Canvas Nottingham. So as some of you may know, uh, before moving to England, I, I used to live in this small city in Tennessee called Johnson City, Tennessee. Um, and while I was there, I studied to get a degree that's called a Master's in Divinity. Basically, I studied theology, Old Testament classes, which is the first two-thirds of the Bible, New Testament classes, the final third of the Bible, um, classes on Hebrew, Greek, all sorts of things. But by far the classes that I've used most on a day-to-day -day basis were my counseling classes. These classes are all about people and relationships. Uh, we all have families, we all have housemates, we all have friends, we all have colleagues, we have people we come in contact with. And all of these things are impacted uh, and are interrelated. And um, one of my uh, teachers in this was the, our professor, Dr. Jack Holland, and he is joining us today. And before we get started, I just wanted to warn you that while we were recording, Dr. Holland had a few internet issues. So the sound quality is a little rough at times, but you can still understand everything. We really wanted you to hear it because it was a great conversation and he has some great thoughts. So let's get into it. Hey, Dr. Holland. Hi, Miles. It's good to see everybody. Uh, it's so great that you're joining us all the way from Tennessee via Zoom. This is one of the perks of um, all of these online uh, recording platforms. Uh, can you just share a bit more about yourself and how you ended up teaching? Sure. So um, I grew up in the church and after uh, college, became a youth minister for a while. And as a youth minister, um, one of the most frustrating things was just being able to minister to our young people within their families. And I began to get interested in those family relationships more and uh, eventually ended up going to uh, graduate school to work on my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And that really broaden my understanding of how to be with people and then i ended up doing my phd in family sciences and from there i started looking for jobs teaching and uh through some really fortunate events was invited to come to a manual and have been here for 20 years now um, teaching courses and especially trying to just help students find ways to to be with people in ways that are helpful so you've you've had a few different stops along the road you started out at the church level then you went into academia and then you went into teaching uh so you've seen a few different things along the way yeah that's probably true <laughs> um one of the core concepts that we talk about in a lot of your classes is this idea that no like person's an individual or an island instead that we're a part of larger systems than ourselves it could be our families it could be our wherever we're working it could be the people we're in a classroom with it could be our housemates or the people we're living with and uh could you just talk a bit more about like this area of study yeah um 
I think a story from my own background might be helpful about why the ideas that you just summarized are important. So I was a youth minister, uh, young, just out of college, had been at the church that we were at for probably three or four years and uh, took a youth group trip to Wisconsin and um, had probably 12 teenagers with us, a couple of sponsors. And after the end of a long week, the teenagers had all worked really hard. So we took them to downtown Chicago just to spend the day, just to have fun, relax. We're walking down the street and this was 20, more than 20 years ago. Uh, things were different then as far as how much supervision you had to give to young people. And so we were spread out probably over about a block and a half. I was in the back, but I knew where all the members of the youth group were. And I was just kind of keeping track and told them to stay in touch. Uh, I didn't have any concern at all about their safety. And as we're walking down the street, one of the mothers who had gone with us to be a sponsor came up to me furious and said, if one thing happens to any of these kids, it is going to be your fault. And I tried to calm her down and make sure that everything was okay and all of those kinds of things. But that confrontation kept eating at me the rest of the day. And that night, I remember laying in bed, just kind of rehearsing how I wish I had just told her off on one hand. And then I would hear another voice in my head saying, you got to try to help people like that. Calm down. Be nice to her. Don't rip her a new one. And then suddenly something came to me and said, Jack, how come this keeps happening to you? And I started thinking about other times when I had had conflict, and it seemed like it was always with that kind of dynamic where a mother was being very protective and kind of over-involved with what was happening. And I just started wondering, why, does, why do I keep confronting that type of, of problem? with the same sort of person. All of the conflicts that I'd had in my ministry just about in by that time had been with a woman who was just really frustrated with me because I was, she didn't think I was doing my job right. And I just started looking at myself, looking especially at my relationship with my mom that was a good relationship, but my mom was very overprotective. Uh, she was she would have been the kind of person I was having the confrontation with. At some level, I think I was recreating things and not completely resolved in my relationship with my parents growing up. Does that make yeah. sense? It does make sense. Like, instead of just like looking externally, like, why are all these mothers have it out for me and uh, having that be the story that you're telling yourself? Instead, you sort of took a step back and looked inward and being like, what is it about me or what part am I playing in this uh, dynamic that's unfolding in my life? Absolutely. I mean, my other choice was to believe that all of these older women were conspiring against me. 
and it just there had to be something in that was coming from me that that was also a part of what was happening and i guess it takes some humility to just like look at yourself and see like what what you are responsible for in some relationships instead of put it on somebody else well I, yeah i hope so um, and it's just you know it didn't do any good to be mad at her uh, it had to have something to do with me so uh that story is really helpful so why is it important to view ourselves in systems with other people then um one of my favorite authors on this whole topic is Gregory Bateson. He was an anthropologist, uh, researcher, psychologist, uh, and in many ways, a fundamental voice in the development of human systems. And he talks about how if I stand at the top of the hill and I kick a rock, the rock is going to roll down the hill, but eventually the energy from my kick and from rolling down the hill is going to run out and the rock will stop. But he says there's a fundamental difference between that motion of that inanimate object. And if I stand on the same hill, and I would never do this, it's his illustration, but if I stood on the same hill and kicked a dog, there are more responses, there's more possibilities of the outcome than just the dog rolling down the hill and then coming to the to a stop. Because there's something, the dog has, uh, the dog has the capacity to respond in so many different ways. And we can't understand the dog's response unless we understand the context. Maybe the dog, uh, is my dog and has always been afraid of me because I'm so mean to her. Uh, maybe the dog is in somebody's backyard and I climbed over the fence. Uh, there's so many more explanations, so many more possibilities for the reaction because there is that at some level, even a dog has choice and at some level, some aspect of emotional response. And so, in our relationships with each other, it's more than just about one person. It's about the context and about just understanding what is happening. Another author tells the story of uh, the fox population in Canada. Researchers noticed that the, the number of foxes in a certain area kept increasing for about five years and then it would decline for about five years and they couldn't figure out what the rise and fall in the number of foxes was until they realized that the foxes all fed on the same kind of rabbit and so the rabbit population and the fox population matched each other in opposite direction as there were more foxes uh, there were less rabbits to eat, and so the fox population would go down, and the rabbit population would come back up. So I, I view everything, every relationship as that interaction where uh, whatever I do gets a response from whoever I'm interacting with. Yeah, it's like very dynamic, where it's like how I change or act as a person impacts how, like, 
on the canvas team, like Matt might change or interact as a person. Absolutely. So um, that being said, you mentioned the fox and rabbit <laughs> example, but how do some human systems change? Um, there's an important word uh, in systems called homeostasis, which mm -hmm. has the idea of balance. And if you think about it, I, I think one of the best illustrations of systems thinking is the air conditioning system or heating system in a home. Um, if I set my thermostat, today it's pretty warm here. If I set my air conditioning on and set the thermostat at 70 degrees, the temperature in this room doesn't stay at 70 degrees. It ranges probably between 72 and 68, but it's constantly changing. Uh, it will cool off when the air conditioner comes out, comes on, cools off to about 68 degrees, and then something in the thermostat switches and says to the air conditioner to turn off. And so the air conditioner goes off until it warms back up in the room, and then the thermostat indicates that it's time for the air to cool the room off again. And so there's a range of motion between 72 and 68, but it never stays, even though it stays the same, it's constantly changing. And I think human systems are that way, families are that way, teams are that way. Uh, think about on your team, if one person always takes a conservative position, I will bet that there's someone else on that team that almost always takes a more open position. And that's just a dance that the team does together. There's probably somebody else on the team that when those two start going at each other and being frustrated, there's somebody else that always comes in and calms things down. And it, it's just the way human systems interact. Uh, we, we always work toward that balance in the same way that the air conditioning system does. And sometimes <laughs> negative behavior that's keeping the system balanced, and that's when in marriage and family therapy, that's when families come for counseling. It's when there's the system that they're in is so destructive that they can't take it anymore. So what I'm hearing is that like a system is there's a like a circle of like things that fall and it sort of d does a little circular dance. And so say like in a house, for example, if you're living with some person, uh, there might be tension in the house. And then somebody in the system might be the person who makes a joke uh, to settle the tension out. And then it, everybody's happy again. And then it, then that cycle will start again. And then that person will be expected to make that joke again to settle the situation down again. Happens all the time. So it just looks different for each system, the behaviors that we all say yes to or no to. Yeah. So what does a healthy uh, role in a system look like? Um, I think, first of all, it's someone who is aware of how their behavior contributes to what happens in the system. Um, I think... I don't know where it came from. It wasn't my brilliance, but recognizing that my behavior was creating the anxiety in these women, that was an important realization. Knowing how 
our behavior impacts the system is an important understanding. And just the ability to manage ourselves well in that, um, to take responsibility for ourselves. So uh, a key part of how we can be a healthy part of a system is to realize what we're bringing into systems. Like, oh, are we a person who is very laid back and then lets things go until like we boil over? Or are we a person who's very, I guess, hypersensitive to when things don't go our way that we sort of overreact to certain situations and just understanding some of our natural tendencies is one of the most important things we can do. And I think one of the key ideas there is to understand that even in your own internal conversations with yourself, first of all, I believe that we all talk to ourselves. Um, in some way or another, we rehearse, like I did that night after that woman confronted me, I rehearsed over and over what I wish I had said. And I think that those conversations that, in our, that are in our head are also systemic. Um, for example, part of me knows that tomorrow I really need to finish grading some papers but I also know that tomorrow is the best day to watch college basketball of the entire year because all of the small conferences, all the underdogs are playing. There's always some great games tomorrow. So there, part of me says, yeah, Jack, you deserve a break. You've been working hard. And then another voice kind of says, no, you got to get those done because you could get paid for it. So it balances itself. Even the way that we talk to ourselves balances things out. It's a system. And knowing what that internal system is in our and how we comfort ourselves and how we beat ourselves up is also important. So you talked about uh, systems having a homeostasis, like a normal range of like fluctuations. What causes a system to get out of homeostasis, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does. I don't know that it gets out of homeostasis. Uh, what you're asking is, is about change. How do, mm-hmm. how do we quit doing that same dance? Bateson, who I mentioned earlier, talked about first-order change and second-order change. And first-order change would be um, if you have a family where the teenage boy is always getting in trouble, and mom and dad are always having to deal with him. And then there's a sister who's always the golden child and never does anything wrong. Uh, I had a family like that. And uh, one time the the son straightened up and was just being an excellent child. And the daughter is the one that started getting in trouble. So there was change, but it was still the same system. In other words, I can change my thermostat uh, and turn the heat on instead of the air, but it's going to do the same kind of dance. The second order change for Bateson was when there's a change in how the system actually functions. So in an air conditioning system, change would be if I open the window uh, because the the same system that's been maintaining balance, the balance is going to be different um, than with the air conditioning system. 
in, in work relations, team relations, I would bet that if you have a troublemaker on your team and they finally meet, move and finally leave and you don't have to deal with them anymore, there's a strong possibility that the next that you'll find a replacement for the troublemaker because the system balances itself out. And so that's first order change often repeats itself. Second order change comes when we're aware of it and when we take a stand and begin making a real difference. Did that make sense? Yeah, like it seems like what you're saying is the first world change is that it's an external problem. Like it's like they're they're the bad person. They're the one who's causing all of our problems. And as soon as they leave our system or it could be our team, then everything will be fixed. And it's like easy to tell that story opposed to the more true thing is like the entire system's playing on with everything going on. And so instead you have to sort of look more inward, which is what you talked about uh, earlier. And when we do that, then a real change to the dynamic happens. Yeah. I think for me, one of the most important things I did in dealing with that is to actually move toward my mom and try to work through our relationship. And it had always been good, but I had always, you know, she still, in many ways, she was still, even though I was getting close to 30, my mom still treated me like a, like a 10 year old. And I finally had to kind of take a stand with her and say, it wasn't an argument. I just finally had to say, mom, I know you're not necessarily happy with this, but you need to know that that's what I'm doing. Uh, and when I had that confrontation with her, it hurt her feelings for a time, but she got over it and our relationship was better because I actually grew up in front of her and took a stand. It wasn't argumentative. It was me taking responsibility for myself. Uh, and in looking back to some of your classes, one way that like I started to learn how to take responsibility for myself and some of my own issues was this thing called a geneogram. So what exactly yeah. is a geneogram? Um, it's, it's a technical process for basically making a family tree. There are a lot of examples online. You, you just search the term genogram and you'll see a lot of, of tools and books and things like that come up. But it's a way of basically depicting your family by um, certain symbols that are used. Um, for example, in my genogram, I have the first line is my parents. Underneath that is the children. And underneath that is our children. And so it just gives you this a visual display of relationships in your family. And then a lot of geneograms, you can do color-coded connections. Like if there's conflict in one relationship, there's ways of, of making symbols that communicate that. And it just helps you then once you've done it to sit back and look at your family and you can, it kind of helps you identify that dance that's taking place in your family. So how can studying our family's past be helpful for us moving forward as people? Um, uh, there used to be a professor here at Emanuel that said his biggest advice to students was get your poop in a group. And what he meant by that 
was work on yourself. And I think working on ourself in relationship to the families that we grew up in is one of the most important places to do that work. Uh, not blaming our families, not, not blaming our parents, uh, but working through our relationships with them in ways that we don't continue to uh, repeat the things that we did not get worked through in our childhood. So what I'm hearing you saying is by by looking back and sometimes re-examining maybe difficult moments from our childhood or from growing up, we can stop that process from repeating our, itself in our lives. Just like you talked about in your first story with the, all yeah. those different moms, like sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, just and that, a genogram helps you to see what those dynamics are and uh, just start examining all of that. The other thing I would say is don't do it by yourself. Talk to people. Um, there's a lot of resources out there to kind of find your way through these ideas. Um, I think that's really, really helpful. Um, so you talked about earlier that sometimes when a system, the homeostasis of a system is destructive, that's when like people go to counseling and other things. Um, when, what are some signs of an unhealthy system that you would be like, oh, that's something that needs much more work or that's not normal, if that makes sense? Um, yeah, I think if people are hurting each other, if people are are just being cruel to one another, um, that's a healthy, unhealthy system, I think. Um, if people are experiencing, you know, a lot of just emotional distress from people that they interact with, um, that's a lot of times a systemic kind of issue that needs to be dealt with. Um, and I would say there aren't good systems and bad systems. There are some systems that are healthier than other systems, but everybody's a little bit messed up. Every system has its issues uh, that keep it balanced. Um, but when the negative stuff starts to dominate the, the relationships, it becomes toxic and needs to be dealt with. How, do you have any advice for when we're in some of those unhealthy systems, when the system needs to be fixed and we want to be a part of the solution, part of the healing of that system, and when to just leave that system altogether? That's a tough one. I, th I think one of the ways to know it's time to leave, and I'm not necessarily approving this, but when you've just demonized somebody to the point that you just think they're all that they're evil and they're out to get you. Um, it's probably time to leave. I don't necessarily think that there are people that do that, but once you've have demonized somebody, it's really hard to to get that relationship back. Uh, I would say unless you work through the issues that were a part of that relationship, you'll probably repeat it in your next one. But yeah, I think that. You know, I, I worked at a church one time where the senior minister had just decided that the elders were these incompetent buffoons and he had no respect for them. 
he stayed too long because he he hurt the church because he was so angry at at those elders. Uh, and what was fascinating was that after he left, the, the church hired a minister that did the same kind of thing over again. Uh, and then I think one of the turning points was when the, the leadership decided to look at itself and basically say, why do we keep hiring the same kind of person that comes in and, and does the same sort of destructive stuff? I think that's really helpful. Like when there is a point that might be the system can no longer be fixed and it's yeah. time to leave it. Um, yeah. And it's always that balance of knowing one's that. Yeah. And as you said, um, in community, we can hopefully decide that. We don't have to decide yeah. that by ourselves a lot sure. of the time. Sure. And I think if you're going to leave, leave well. Don't leave tearing the place apart. Uh, out of mentor one time who said if you're going to leave make sure that you get the a positive going away party uh, you know you don't want to leave and they have the party after you're left because they're so glad you're gone i think that's really helpful like we can still take responsibility for our role in this system sure. so even if we want to leave a place we can do it in a way that is respectful to the other people and so instead of like, if we have a housemate who is annoying us and we just have had enough and we want to leave, we don't have to like burn down the house and just destroy uh, all the relationships in the house on our way out. Absolutely. Um, so something you talked about a lot is identifying some of the inward things that we do in a system. How can I identify unhealthy patterns that I might be involved in? Um, when I'm inside the system? Um, pay attention to how you talk to yourself about it. Um, pay attention to what makes you anxious. Uh, times when, when it seems like you keep having the same conflict, uh, the same things coming up or same sort of people, pay attention to those things. I think um, if you're spending all your time trying to diagnose a relationship and figure out what's wrong, pay attention to that. Uh, it's where our anxiety is, is the highest is usually the place that we need to look at ourselves. I think that's a really great line. So like the places our anxiety is the highest is yeah. usually a place that like we might need to heal from something in our lives. It's like the canary in the coal mine. It's something, something going, something's going on there. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's really, really helpful. Also, I think what you said, just being able to observe our lives. And if we're having the same conflict over and over again, it's really easy to be like, man, all those people, but uh, <laughs> the common theme in those conflicts is ourselves. That's for sure. So I think this is really, really helpful. So thanks so much for joining us. I have a few rapid fire questions for us to finish on. Fire away. Okay, so my first rapid fire question is, fill in the blank, community is? Uh, great when it's good and it sucks when it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your favorite food to eat as a takeaway? Good Mexican food. Good Mexican food. East Tennessee, that's hard to find. 
<laughs> oh, in England, it's even harder. Trust me on oh, that one. That's the, the, <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not very prevalent in the British oh, culture. What is something that you've binged recently? It could have been a television show, a podcast, a book. Um, I wonder if people know about Mystery Science Theater. I do. If you want to explain okay. it a little bit more. Mystery Science Theater is a group of comedians back in the 80s and 90s, maybe a little bit later. It's on Netflix now, but basically it's these three or four guys that watch really bad movies and uh, make snide remarks throughout the whole movie. Um, And I used to watch it. It was on every Saturday morning for 10 or 15 years and I would watch it every Saturday, but I found they've, they've started uh, putting them on Netflix some, and uh, I've been watching those just because they're really funny. I mean, and the movies that they, that they watch are terrible, but their comments and their jokes are, are pretty funny. I have seen a few episodes. They are funny. Yeah. Uh, So what's something you're grateful for in the midst of this, Chaotic year as we're like one year in of COVID. Um, I'm just grateful for, I'm grateful for voices that are speaking toward justice and um, respect. And there are a lot of good conversations in our world right now about being about recognizing differences and honoring that and just uh, for me the the conversations about justice right now are really exciting and the final question for you is a would you rather question to end us on a sort of funny note would Uh, you rather only be able to use a fork and no spoon or only be able to use a spoon and no fork I'm going to go with the, I'd rather be able to use the spoon. The spoon, more versatile for you. You can hold it better, yeah. Uh, And also anything with like milk or cereal would be a disaster. There you go. You can't can't eat cereal with a fork. (laughs) Oh, absolutely not. Uh, And so thank you all for listening to us, uh, to the Uni Life podcast with Canvas Nottingham. The podcast discussion about this episode will be on Monday, February 22nd uh, at 12.30. So we'll hopefully see you then. Uh, And thank you for uh, joining us and feel free to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Thanks so much. And thank you, Dr. Holland. Thank you. It's great.